Meow, and welcome to this week's episode of ContraCast. This is Kat. This is David, wearing a trilby. <laughs> what I will say is that this wig is quite hot. Yeah, my hat is quite hot. My head's quite sweaty. So I think also this, like, having all this, like, red smeared over my face is quite itchy. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Halloween is it's never particularly comfortable. Unless you're dressing up as, like, Roseanne Barr. Yeah, what's your sort of take on, um... What about people who are doing slutty Halloween? Oh, that's that's the thing now, though, isn't it? Slutty yeah. Halloween. I mean, when I was a child, back in the good old days, um, you dressed up as a witch, mm-hmm. and your mom cut a hole out the top of a black bin bag, and you wore it as oh, yeah. a bin bag, mm-hmm. right? Have you ever dressed up as something not very PC? Uh, well, when I was about nine, um, I dressed up as a, a, a slutty witch. You dressed up as a slutty witch? Yeah. David Jameson, the slutty witch from air. <laughs> Cat Boyd has uh, burst into flames, lighting a cigarette on her. Actually, I think you'll find it's self-immolation uh-huh. in protest at slutty Halloween costumes. Uh, yeah, because because uh, what are you are you against the slutty Halloween costume? You think people should take it more seriously than that? Like more I'm traditional. Against, um, not more traditional, right? But I don't really. I think it should only be slutty if you're doing slutty. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So okay. if you're dressed up as like an eighties prostitute or something daft, right? Uh-huh. Myra Hindley. Right, sexy Myra, <laughs> sexy, sexy Myra, Myra Henley, Henley. Yeah. for example. Um, but I generally like I like horrible Halloween costumes. Like I want people to look like frightening. Yeah, or uncanny, or odd. Like I like the kind of the macabre sense of everyone. Kind of, everyone loves that one. They've seen it online. It's a wee girl, and it, she's carrying her own head. Yeah, I like that sort That's of stuff. That's a classic, yeah. yeah. What was your best Halloween costume when you were a kid? I think they were extremely unoriginal. Um, they were classic rather than unoriginal. Yeah, I uh, I was a sort of vampire of a very Of course, Dracula you would actually be a very good vampire. Variety. Um, I, do you know, one of my earliest memories of Halloween was... Um, had those plastic fangs in mm-hmm. and uh, I'd bit uh, a girl I fancied I say fancied you know I was uh-huh. about seven or something yeah. so I didn't even really know what that meant and her being really annoyed about it so there you go a bit of misogynist violence that hat says misogynist violence yeah um, tell uh, people about your outfit so um, for the Halloween edition of Contercast um, I'm, I'm dressed up as a, as a man in a hat or a man in a... What do they call this hat? I think it... What's a trilby? This is, is not a tri- trilby. Is it not a trilby? It's something that's a lot like a trilby. Um, but I think I'm George Galloway. Yeah. I think that's what I'm uh, what I'm going for. Um, though I've also said, I don't know why, I feel like I'm a member of a band that you definitely won't have heard of because on Spotify they've been listened to about six times. 
um, a band called Fat Cops. To be honest, this is the most coverage that Fat Cops is ever going to get. Yeah, this is this is probably the biggest media review that the band Fat Cops. Who's has. in Fat Cops? Chris Deeran, um, who's a, a Scottish journalist. Ewan McComb. Ewan McComb, another Scottish journalist. Both of them sort of right wing. Um, Al Murray, the pub landlord, I don't know what his real name is, but that was his act that, that consisted of a single joke over several years. He played a right-wing person. I don't know what his actual politics are, but they founded a band that makes music that sounds exactly like the Happy Mondays, but rubbish. But rubbish and, like, old. It's, like, it's sort of it's centrist ads. Yeah. It? It's, centrist um, ads take a trip down memory lane. Yeah, uh, and uh, you can find their music if you type Fat Cops in on, on YouTube and it's it's pretty bad and it's pretty depressing but at the moment that's sort of what I feel like. I don't know why, I put on this trilby and I feel like a, a man who's having a midlife crisis. Again, very George Galloway. <laughs> but his midlife crisis has now been going on quite a long time because I think he must be pushing 70. Oh, he must be. I think he, he must I think be. He, yeah. Um, so yeah that's carried on with him so um, I was thinking about George Galloway this morning <laughs> well every morning for me you know. yeah of course Yeah, you get up in the morning and you say your morning prayers to George uh-huh. our gorgeous good, our good gorgeous George who mm-hmm. are in London <laughs> <laughs> who are in wherever you can get a seat <laughs> Hallowed yeah. be thy hat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once he got kicked off Talk talk Sport, uh, his radio show, um, he went... Some would say, some cruel people would say he downgraded to Sputnik. Um, <laughs> it's all about perspective, though. It's all about it? perspective. So, perspective. Well, exactly. I mean, he would say that this was down market from Sputnik. You know, Contacast. He'd be wrong. Um <laughs> But the, that is that's our big sort of that's our USP. Down like, market from Sputnik. <laughs> <laughs> Bargain bin Sputnik. Um, I will say this: we are better informed than Sputnik. Yeah, and we're not particularly well informed. Exactly. Um, but the the symbol of his show is his hat, and when I first saw it, because obviously I watch his show religiously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, "Oh, George, how has it come to this?" Has it come to this? I mean, do you know, I admire his indicability <laughs> with the hat, right? Uh-huh. Because he was taking a pelters for the hat. Yeah. But he's stuck with it. He doesn't care. See what you want about George? He's a man of his principles. He's a prince among men. He doesn't care what people say about his fucking hat. <laughs> he's done a lot more daft stuff in his life than wearing a silly looking hat. What was I going to say about George again? Oh, yeah. I was thinking about him in terms of, you know, this new thing where MPs are victims. Mm-hmm. You know how MPs are now all oppressed. Yeah. And, like, life is really hard for mm-hmm. them because the public are continually cruel. hmm I always think about, like, all the stuff that Galloway had to deal with from, like, mm-hmm. the Ulster loyalists, death threats, oh God, all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Well, he's been repeatedly... Uh, that, on a serious note, I remember he said, saying at the time of Joe Cox's murder, and he was quite right to say so, you know, lessons should have been learned after, like, this Zionist nut job 
battered him in the street, right? And uh, get bruised ribs, like broken bones, fractured skull, all kinds of mad stuff. And also attacked the two elderly men he was talking with at the time in the street, right? And it was such a severe beating that the police took it basically as a terrorist attack, yeah. right? Um, and it wasn't mentioned by the speaker. It wasn't mentioned in the House by a single MP. I think this was something like two years before Joe Cox was murdered. So, do you know what I mean? And he did say at the time why you know, there was no investigation into security for MPs at the time because of the political character of the person who attacked him and because of George Galloway's political character, the attack on him was completely ignored. Completely ignored. And it wasn't taken seriously in the media yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. George Galloway, interestingly enough, has also been assaulted in the Houses of Parliament by, member, by members of the Labour Party. Uh, at least if you believe his memoirs. Uh, he, <laughs> which you do. Which I do. I've never known him to lie. Um, <laughs> he claims, I can't remember which minister in Tony Blair's government he claimed got drunk in the Commons bar, or the Parliament bar, whatever the fuck it is, uh, and attacked him around the time of the anti-war movement. Um, George's retelling of this is, you know, a bit like Alan Partridge's anecdotes. You know what I mean? Needless to say, George Galloway had, had the, the last, last laugh. laugh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't remember exactly how it ends, but basically, all of George Galloway's anecdotes involve his opponents being drunkards, <laughs> and end with him sort of deftly disposing of them in, in a manly fight. So, like I say, I mean, that's that definitely, definitely happened. Reminded me of that. Do you remember when he was campaigning against Imran Khan in Bradford? And um, one of his favourite taunts of his opponents is that they're alcoholics, right? Every single one of of George Galloway's opponents is alcoholics. Um, but he's, he's, I went around during that election saying things like, um, God knows who is a Muslim and who is not. God knows that George Galloway has never drank alcohol. And then he would say of Imran Khan, uh, you know, he says he's a lawyer. I'm sure he spent lots of time at the bar, like that. Oh my God. <laughs> all around that constituency, just spreading all these all these rumours. Um, so... I mean, I, I'm not going to... I'm not the... I'm not a super fan. No. Like... Unlike you, mm-hmm. I understand why you have like that sort of mm, fascination with Galloway. If that's yeah. the right way yeah. of putting it. Um, and I understand that because, it's, I mean, whilst there's so much that I do disagree with George on, I miss that kind of that type of leader in a way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I remember always railing against those older, kind of high-profile male political figures on the left. Mm -hmm. But now I see where they were useful. Mm -hmm. Do you know, we don't really have any of them left. It's like we've talked about on this pod before where people are, you know, desperate to attach those beliefs into John McDonald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just, he's not that guy. Every time some pressure is applied to him from the right, he slides... But someone like Galloway, you know, was pretty firm and resolute. Do you know do you know what I find fascinating about the culture of a certain type of sort of alpha male lefty who's no longer with us, died out like the dinosaur when a 
when the meteor of something crashed to us, um, is they were a generation of great communicators of basic ideas. This is what I'm fascinated with, is the way that, you know, someone like Galloway was able to, to speak and to tell a story mm. about what was happening in Iraq or what was happening in Palestine mm-hmm. um, or around about austerity or with Islamophobia, like the way that he was able to communicate that. And he is, I think, or he was a great orator. I mm. mean, the footage of him in the Senate is incredible. Mm-hmm. Really incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking that that just seemed like a very old-fashioned, like hectoring way of doing politics mm. at the time um, but now I I see its value if you know what I mean like yeah. I don't think I still think that it's kind of it's time has gone that type that, mm-hmm. that type but of nothing has necessarily replaced it yeah nothing has re- replaced it um, I think the left is actually quite quite bad at communicating its values now um, I, even the ones on the most simple basis so Obviously, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, his campaign at its best in 2017, and I'm sure in this general election campaign as well, will actually be where it strikes at core messages, right? And fair play to him, that's what he does. But, you know, what you tend to find, by the way, with people when they explain their core politics now is they do the list, the left-wing checklist, where they'll go... Austerity cuts to public services, blah, 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 racism, blah, 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 blah. How many speeches have you heard where someone rattles through a huge list of grievances, uh, but volume is taking the place of sort of rhetorical power? Whereas, as you say, the Tony Benns, the George Galloways, the Tommy Sheridans, the Jimmy Reeds, the the culture of oration is one of telling stories. Mm. Um... Even if you think about a speech, like, this used to be a, a thing that was just ubiquitous in the Labour movement. Think of someone like Kinnock's speech, where he says, yeah. the one about the first in my generation, <sighs> yeah. right? It's such a more evocative way to explain, yeah. you know, things to people. But yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a bit of a lost art. I've just caught a little glimpse of myself in the mirror, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of the last days of my drinking because <laughs> of a big smear because I'm like that yeah. right? <laughs> a big smear of lipstick cross eyes do you know what I mean it's like because I'm sort of dressed as a clown uh-huh. I've got this eye makeup on where there's like a triangle coming up and down from my eyes it just looks like I've been crying for hours uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I've got this lipstick smeared across my face do you know what I mean? It just it's, it's the last days. Yeah, and I said earlier, wine o'clock. <laughs> I said earlier that you were in serious danger of busting into flames. That is because of your Technicolor wig. Yeah, that looks very flammable. It must be said. Yeah, God knows the chemical processes that have gone into creating it, that rainbow it, wig. I wonder what the carbon footprint of this wig is. Fucking massive. It's massive. And isn't even it? bigger if you blew it up. Yeah. With a cigarette. <laughs> this is not a, a, a carbon neutral podcast. This is not, a, I mean, I bought a pair of shoes from China. 
<laughs> this week. Yeah. And like they came and I opened the box and honestly the smell of fucking toxic fumes out this box was unbelievable. <laughs> I toxic fumes, child labour, like the shipping footprint. Yeah. I'm like, I will have to wear these every day for the rest of my life for them to have any like anywhere close to mm. I don't know neutral benefit or whatever I was uh, I was in Primark the other day because I was shopping for clothes for my holiday oh yeah so this is <laughs> this is an important bit of news for Connor Cast listeners mm. David is going on holiday for four weeks yeah people keep saying going... <laughs> this to me like it's the most fucking decadent thing in the world that is pretty decadent to have a holiday for four weeks it is decadent especially when you're going on sex tourism yeah so I'm going to <laughs> Vietnam and Cambodia <laughs> So, I could tell you that it's not sex tourism, but you wouldn't believe me. He's got a moustache. I've got a moustache and we're in a trilogy. That's, that's what they thought he was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> passport control. Wait. <laughs> yeah, when I turn up at passport control with a moustache, a trilby, saying, I am not here for sex tourism. <laughs> that's the final way. <laughs> Imagine me sweating away in the queue, waiting to hand over my oh, passport. And you get sweaty, don't you, in hot countries. <laughs> I've seen you in a hot country before. Fat cops. Fat cops. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. So I, yeah, I mean, it's the full sex tourist sort of look. But I was in, um, I was in Primark buying my various sort of, you know, like big floral shirts and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and a pair of those glasses that, like, uh, they've got shades on them. Oh. <laughs> that you can flick up and flick down. That's a pure sex tourist thing as well. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, it's pretty perverse that I am buying clothes here that are designed to fall apart after about the fifth time you wear them. That were probably manufactured somewhere like Vietnam. Uh, and yeah. here I am, halfway around the world, buying them for nothing. Uh, yeah. So I can take them back to Vietnam. <laughs> That's so correct. That's so grim. Yeah. So dark, man. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I really that stuff freaks me out about like fast fashion mm-hmm. it does it really it, the whole idea of modern slavery child labour women locked in factories that go on fire just to make like a shit t-shirt that says yeah uh, daddy's girl or whatever the fuck it's on it and man it was it's like horrible 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 Primark like it's clothes shopping is um, such a, a depressing venture anyway I'm sorry to admit that I'm part of that sort of generation of men still who cannot stand to go clothes shopping right obviously and uh, it was it was like being on one of those like haunted rides at a theme park it was everything in the world that I hate right so first of all if you remember in Primark right more so on the busy days but even on a a Wednesday evening, this would have been, right? People walk through Primark, right? They pick up items of clothing. And then they just discard them. And then they drop them on the floor. Yeah, they just chuck it about, man. And there are whole jobs created for people to scuttle around picking up these clothes that are just being chucked on the ground. And it's like the end of the world in there. Yeah. And it was even mobbed on a Wednesday at sort of 4.30. Do you know what I mean? Mobbed. And it was full of, like, students who were buying clothes for Halloween. The yeah. clothes that they could ruin. They were going to wear yeah, them once. Yeah, yeah. All cackling away. And I was... Um, 
Can I just say that I don't think that I think that that is against the rules of Halloween. Is like buying something to ruin. Mm. It's not very. It's not resourceful. See, that's what I like about Halloween. It's got to have some degree of resourcefulness to it. Mm-hmm. So because I was a sort of um, precocious child, and mm-hmm. I remember. Gosh. spooky child Mm -hmm. I remember dressing up as Amelia Earhart for Halloween once I don't even know who that is now she was the first woman to fly around the world right oh of course I don't know that I don't know the first (laughs) woman to do anything I mean that trilby has really just consolidated the uh, yeah Um, so yeah I dressed up as her I mean she's now like a sort of like liberal feminist pin up Right. But I was kind of obsessed with her when I was wee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wore a, a cardboard box from a plane. Mm-hmm. This is Amelia Earhart on it. And it had wee flappy wings. And I was wearing a wee tiny like bomber flyer jacket that came off a giant stuffed gorilla. Right, you know, yeah, we used to yeah. get them in the 90s, like big yeah. gorillas that had like little flying jackets and goggles on. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was my. And you fact. turned up at, at all the Halloween parties, and all the other no, girls no were dressed one, up as. No one knew who I was. I felt like I yeah, yeah, of course felt not. Like a right arsehole. Yeah, but you. That also... was definitely the beginning of my social anxiety. I yeah. think it was about eight or nine. <laughs> yeah, I remember having to go around and everyone else is dressed as princesses and monster, like regular, regular stuff, yeah. and I'm dressed as fucking Amelia Earhart, trying to explain who that was. There's a photograph of um, me somewhere. Where uh, all my friends are dressed up as cowboys and I'm dressed up as a Native American. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask, what's the most politically incorrect thing you've ever dressed up as? There you go. But yeah, but like I, uh, you know, in those days, people would have probably looked at me and thought I was the woke one. Do you know what I mean? Because I didn't uh, want to be a cowboy. Yeah. Because they're yeah. the bad guys. My my yeah. obviously parents had told me that they were the bad guys or something so that's yeah. why I wanted to be a but I was probably running around you know making doing the noise engine noises yeah uh, that sort of thing I'd, I'd be fucking crucified today oh yeah I remember I just once dressed up as a, a gypsy just do you know what I mean like generic gypsy like what did you just my, have just like wore Hunter's Mama's scarves <laughs> You know what I mean? Just loads and loads of scarves. Yeah. No, I, I dare say people of our age must have a lot of racist Halloween costumes yeah. in the... Uh, I mean, even when I was little Dracula, you know, putting on an Eastern European accent, Brexit Britain. <laughs> that was the beginning of your Brexit thing, wasn't probably, it? Probably. Probably, yeah. Learned that foreigners were bad. Learned that they were parasites. More to the point, blood suckers. Blood sucking parasites. Yeah, yeah. And I attacked that we go. Fuck, David. Yeah. I think this is the this is the moment where everything starts to it starts to make sense. Yeah. Uh, and I'm prejudiced against Native Americans, so you do love Colin Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. Exa- that is true. It's all coming together. See, this is there's a whole debate about whether Halloween's reactionary or progressive or. It could be fucking neither, but I think we've just discovered that it's actually reaction. Do you know what? I, when we were talking about like slutty Halloween, you know how you get like it's all the slutty costumes are all public sector workers, aren't they? That's interesting. Nurses, <laughs> uh-huh. police women, uh-huh. uh huh, firemen, firemen, yeah. 
Uh, you get, else, you get a sort of like sexy doctor for for the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get do you get sexy soldiers? I don't know what that would look like. No, I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think like I saw someone at Halloween party this year was dressed in like sort of old fashioned military gear with like a like a riding crop thing. Oh right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like that sort of look. Uh, but I'll tell you what Prince Harry was dressed up as a Nazi if he was he, with, Nazi's not a public sector worker if, if he was well, the SS that is public SS sector yeah totally <laughs> <laughs> I like how we've just gone from sexy to Nazi yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, <laughs> was he a sexy Nazi <laughs> Halloween <laughs> yeah but I'll tell you what you don't get sexy sexy what? trade unionists Mm-hmm. You're never going to get someone dressed up for Halloween. Never in a fishnet tights and a high vis jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's With an true. official picket armband. Um, pride- pair, of, pair of like knee high boots and a donkey jacket. <laughs> uh, or sexy precarious worker, or private, you know, like uh, private sector sexy McDonald's worker. <laughs> That, that would be a really good Halloween costume, actually, is, mm. like, sexy McDonald's worker. You do get a maid. You do get maids. That's true. Sexy maids. That's classic. Uh-huh. Um, sexy nuns. Yeah, that's true. Religion is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> sexy imam. Obviously not. <laughs> you were going to tell a story before that interrupted about Amelia Earhart. Oh, pre-mark. The students were buying clothes to to rip up and throw away. Yeah. Uh, oh, right, yeah. So I was in the... Um, no, it's just that I was in the changing rooms and that's quite a psychologically damaging experience anyway because you're trying to squeeze on all these clothes in a room that the walls are mirrors, right? And see if, like me... See, you can always tell someone who's, like, um, living outside of the real world when they hate to see photographs of themselves, when they can't stand to see photographs of themselves. Because that's someone whose actual physical image does not resemble the thing that's in their mind. So being in one of those rooms is kind of like you can't escape. You can't escape the horror of reality as you try and squeeze yourself into all these fucking... Clothes Sweatshop labour clothes. Yeah. And it was just made a thousand times worse than that by the inane cackling of all these people saying, like, you know, no, I want to be the honey monster <laughs> in the middle of this situation. Uh, and it was, yeah, and that was all. It was just the sheer horror of it. Halloween. <laughs> You're going to keep saying... Halloween throughout yeah. this. Uh, yeah. 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 And I promise that's my last one. <laughs> I know what you mean about the changing rooms. I find it, I find changing rooms really stressful. Mm. Don't like trying on clothes. Like I'd rather guess. Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'd rather take the risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have been on a very strict diet recently. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you like me to tell you my diet tips? Right, go on. Don't eat in the morning. Oh, for fuck. I mean... Right. Yeah. Black coffee. I mean, that this is eating the soda central. <laughs> Wait till your lunch. Two light baby bell and two water crackers. <laughs> I like the way you said baby bell plural. 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> too, too, too small baby bell. What's a watercracker? A watercracker, it's like the... It's, it's just like a sort of flower and water cracker. Fucking Do you know what hell. I mean? Like, they're really thin crackers. Okay. Are you not dying? Well then, but then I had the fish supper. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And a box of dark chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I might, I might give that a go. Do you know what I mean? Uh, don't want to be confronted with my cankles again in the changing rooms at Primark. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the president of Vietnam listens to this podcast. Can I just say, like, now that I'm starting to try and take this makeup off in case it's giving me brain damage, it is absolutely like. There's a sort of Courtney Love vibe going on. Aye. Kind of Courtney Love, but also Catboyed circa 2016. <laughs> There is actually um, a great Galloway clip on YouTube where, well, quite a lot of drunks used to call in to George Galloway's Mother of All Talk shows. Do you know that was like my first kind of, that's my overriding my first drunk radio memory, <laughs> memory of you. It's doing impressions is, of Galloway. Yeah, like when we first met each other, like you would come round and we would drink wine. And you do George Gallery, and I would just like <laughs> laugh hysterically. <laughs> There's a great one where someone phones in and, and drunkenly goes, Hello, Gorg! Like that. <laughs> and uh, George Galloway's response is just, Have you, uh, you been on the Alco Pop, son? <laughs> <laughs> There's that one about the silver shorts. What's the silver shorts one? Oh, yeah. This is another one. He keeps. He keeps accusing right-wing callers uh, of wanting a spanking and so on. Oh, that was it. And of being bent over the sofa. So, yeah, so there's one where one of the subjects is corporal punishment. Uh, and uh, someone sends in a text. You know, someone something like uh, Gary from, you know, somewhere called, like, Whitlaw or something. And he goes, and Gary says, uh, Gary says... Uh, Children have become unruly savages. Give them six of the best in the morning for a start, says Gary in Whitlaw. Gary, you are sick. You're a sadist. That's what you're... You're probably bent over the sofa right now in your silver shorts (laughs) taking six of the best yourself. And then he goes... uh, (laughs) Also, when really right-wing folk would text and he'd say... You have a blow-up Hitler doll in your attic with movable parts. <laughs> this hat is making my head quite sweaty. Yeah, I had to take that wig off. That podcast, this this podcast is making me sound uh, quite gross, really. We've been talking about my sweatiness in general. I raised cankles that I don't even have. Uh, so, what yeah. is cankles again? Is that... Fat ankles. Yeah, yeah. I think it's when your your calf and your ankles. There's no distinction between oh, them. Cankles. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, George Galloway must have a very sweaty head. <laughs> yeah. As well, because I mean that. Because he's wearing that under studio lights as well. And he's wearing it constantly. He doesn't. I really think take you might have off. several. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, by now the the sweat would have completely eroded uh, uh, the hat. 
Um. Uh, so, is Galloway standing in the election? Nah. I kind of feel like it might be over for him. Yeah. I think um, electoral politics is definitely over for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a few people, I mean, Galloway actually thrived as a politician during New Labour for a good reason. Yeah. Which was that, like, everyone had vacated the room in politics to the left. Um, so I think while Corbynism's ongoing, uh, it's difficult for something like that to happen again. Yeah, can I- <laughs> Can I just say I'm not, like, hoping that politics becomes no. such a way that just, Galloway just... can return <laughs> That's but, my main political yeah, perspective. Yeah, that's, that's your Fuck main... Corbynism. Oh. Fuck Scottish independence. Fuck all the things that are getting in the way of Galloweyism. Galloweyism, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, and then the saviour shall return. Uh, it'll be happy days all over again. Speaking of which, the general election. Mm. Um, predictions. It's always wise to get a prediction in at the beginning. Yeah, it's always really wise to get one in, mm-hmm. um, especially now because politics is really stable. Is anyone going to win this election? No. No. No, in Parliament. Yeah. Like, absolutely. And there's seats in Scotland that there's a couple that are very, very marginal across three parties. Mm-hmm. I think, like, Falkirk, there's like. 400 votes between the top three candidates, same in ha- um, Hamilton, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So there's like, there's, it's kind of like everything to, anything could happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, so far, Corbyn's campaign's been good. Uh, Johnson's campaign's been shit. Yeah, but this is like, what, day? Well, so like three days day, into Day it. three. Yeah. But I just, I've not actually seen the, the Cummings thing happen yet. You know, like, mm. like people on the left in particular keep inventing, like, evil geniuses. Steve Bannon. Remember him? Yeah. Now where is he? Cummings. Uh, I mean, it makes the world a bit more interesting for a bit, but I always wonder about characters like this, if they really know yeah, what they're doing. Yeah, people will be really looking for a Rasputin. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so far, people versus parliament hasn't amounted to very much. But as you say, I mean, it could all be ready to, to swing into action. So because I've never really followed an election like this, I mean, the first, I'd say that the first election I really took notice of in quite a big way was 2015. Right. Like, I watched 2010. Yeah. Um... But it still felt like there was nothing to vote for. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't mm. going to vote Lib Dem. Although I know loads of people who did. Yeah. Um, lots of people who yeah, so do I, so are, yeah. are left wing and who just wanted something different. Um, so I watched that. 2015, obviously very, very different. Like the absolute hammering of labour like the hollowing out in Scotland is just even now when I've been looking at the results from 2015 like some of those majorities are just crazy like Mary Black over Douglas Alexander yeah I remember that so vividly and Uh, just being like what a result I think there was lots of champagne corks popping. I think we were at the same, we were at a party, weren't we? Aye, uh, we were we were somewhere in the south side. Yeah. Uh, God, it's hard to remember now, 
Ed Miller band was the leader of the Labour Party. Seems like a lifetime ago. I know. Um, and a totally it's different four world. years ago. Yeah. It's only four years ago. It's only four years ago. Ed Miller band. He was. He's disappeared from the history books without a trace. No, not without a trace. He's yeah. got a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I think it would really be really at. nice if... If we got Ed Miliband on. Uh, if we got on his. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like a policy podcast. And I think he tries to be like all like cute and stuff. Mm-hmm. What was, what was his fans called? What were his fans called? Oh, it was the Millie Bandwagon. Oh. That's tragic, isn't it? Yeah, babies became a bit of a pin-up. Do you remember yeah. those quite a lot of girls who that, fancied them? That felt slightly confected. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the Millie bandwagon. Uh, Millie like... babes? Is there something like that? <laughs> God, it's tragic. Um, yeah, and then of course the 2017 election was, oh, I mean, the most exciting election that I've ever seen. Like, not, you know, we've as we've just said, there's only been a couple of interesting ones that we've seen, but yeah, that was uh, uh, like a shock. Though in 2017, as with 2016, like in 2016, I didn't believe there was going to be a leave vote. Yeah. And in 2017, I didn't think uh, there would be a hung parliament. And I think in both cases, that's because we were quite isolated from the national dynamic because we live in Scotland. Yeah. And neither of those things were really Scottish phenomenon. So I think this year... I think that there will be gains in Scotland for the Lib Dems. Okay. Why is that? So, unionist, mm-hmm. but pro-Europe. And they're giving up on the Tories. Yeah. So I think that Boris Johnson's particular brand of English nationalism will uh, clash up, up yeah. against some of the kind of unionist. Scottish okay. Tories. Right, okay, that's interesting. Davidson's gone as well. Ruth Davidson is gone. Mm -hmm. So I think that that will have an impact. I also think that some of the places the Tories hold their seats, those traditional tartan Tory, like genuinely tartan Tory areas Mm -hmm. that were SNP Tory, like over 2015, 2017, might, and they're quite big Romain areas as well. Yeah. Um, so if you're if people are starting to harden around the EU and those types of constituencies, um, and don't want a second independence referendum, then I think the Liberals could make gains. That's an interesting point. I'd not thought about that. Yeah, and I think that that's quite dangerous because Scotland could actually. This is the thing I remember during twenty four in the lead up to the twenty fourteen NDRF, we we kept making that point that Scotland's votes don't matter. Mm-hmm. Like you look at the election results for the last fifty years, mm-hmm. and there hasn't really been once where Scotland's votes changed the colour of government. But now that's potentially not true. Mm-hmm. It's potentially not true. Like we have thirteen Tories in Scotland. Yeah, like they all need to go. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell anyone how to vote. Yeah. Just like get rid of the Tories, but I think that there's dangers of Scotland returning a bunch of Lib Dems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just I think, think that like case. Scotland's kind of middle class 
who who are unionists who are unionists are not going to they're not going to be drawn towards I mean Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party mm-hmm. Boris Johnson's Tory party but they might be taken by Swenson she, remember her seat is in Scotland yeah 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 she's got a Scottish constituency I mean her accent is the maddest thing I've ever heard yeah I, yeah I was trying to focus on it the other day and it's it's sort of three quarters kind of posh southern English and then one quarter obviously Scottish yeah but coming in and out yeah it's really strange yeah really strange uh, it'd be great if she could lose her seat uh, it would be magnifique. Especially since they seem to have built a campaign around the idea that she's going to be the next Prime Minister. Right? Which I know is like a braggadocio thing. It's a thing you should always say, no matter what. But their poster campaign, their billboard campaign at the moment, is just giant pictures of her uh, saying UK's next Prime Minister. She voted with the Tories on austerity and other things. She voted with the Tories more than 800 times. Yeah. More than Michael Gove, more than Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> she voted with the Tories. More, more Tory than the Tory front bench. Aye. And have you seen that story about how in England the Lib Dems are going into a pact with the Green Party mm-hmm. and Plaid Cymru uh, uh, and yeah, Wales? On, on, on certain seats. And they've yeah. already done that in Wales. That's already happened yeah. in a by-election. I don't know where it is now. I mean, obviously recording this is a bit... There's hostages to fortune. Mm-hmm. But... No, that is already underway, yeah. Um, it's disgusting, man. It is, it is gross. It is gross. And it's sad how badly uh, uh, the Brexit framing has done a number uh, on some people who should... People have really, really lost the plot. Yeah. Over Brexit. Yeah. Um, and it's worrying. It's I mean, it's something... We return to here quite a lot, but it's worrying that once the institutional structure of society and the hierarchies that structure it are actually threatened, you'll find people from all over the political spectrum who will rally to it to, to defend it. Yeah. Um, it's 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 then that you see what people's real politics are. Not when in peacetime everyone's sort of saying, "Wouldn't it be great to abolish poverty?" Yeah. Everyone, be- anyone can say that. It means nothing. Um, so, uh, aye, uh, and what about what about the SNP? I think they'll make huge gains in Scotland. Yeah, I think the SNP will do very well in the election, very well. Regardless of whatever, I think that the some of the like very tight marginals will, like the majorities, will increase. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking of people like Chris Stevens, mm-hmm. MP Glasgow South. Southeast. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's like uh, that's like Shawlands and places like that. Yeah. Um, Pollock. Yeah, Gavin. There isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris is a really good MP. Yeah. Really good trade unionist. Yeah. I mean, um, he's been involved in basically every campaigning front in Scotland since he was elected. Yeah. Uh, all the precarious work stuff. All the housing stuff. Yeah. Uh, all the everything stuff. Do you remember when uh, um, there was that thing where there was a music festival that collapsed at the last minute? Oh, yeah. Um, Making sure the staff got paid. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing an investigation on 
oh, I can't even remember the name of it now, that Canadian coffee place that moved into town. Uh, Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons, and they were advertising jobs below the minimum wage. And uh, he jumped in on that as well. Uh, so, yeah, but I think he's head and shoulders above other SNP MPs, uh, by and large. Mine is uh, Stuart McDonald. Uh, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, Stuart McDonald's my MP, so he's he's about as bad as it gets. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's that's the neighbouring constituency. I bet Stuart listens to this podcast in case we mention him, or he has one of his um, CIA minders listening to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure this this is getting reported back to the Integrity Initiative. Integrity Initiative and the Pro Russia Spin. Oh shit! We mentioned Sputnik as well. we are this podcast is fucked. Well, you have said the words Sputnik. Mm-hmm. Sex tourism, mm-hmm. jihad. Yeah, I've spent most of this talking about George Galloway <laughs> <laughs> wearing a trilby. So, uh, so yeah, we're bound to rights. Um, I mean, I am excited about the election, which is a weird thing. I don't want to see a. I want to see Corbyn as PM. Like, however that government is constituted, I want to see Jeremy Corbyn as the prime minister. Like yeah, obviously. <laughs> I saw Pete Wisher in an interview on the TV the other day, and uh, he uh, he wouldn't say if he'd prefer uh, Jeremy Corbyn or Boris Johnson as prime minister. Uh, and of course, we can all say, yeah, we know which one it is. But it's it's it, it's a sl- it's a quite a thin thing at this point to not be able to admit that, given that. Jeremy Corbyn is also the only Prime Minister who will ever be elected again as Prime Minister who will accept a second independence referendum. It's not going to, it's never going to be 2012 again. I know. Not after Brexit. Mm. This is the main thing people will understand about Scottish independence. That was the worst shot for the British establishment yeah. fucking yeah. ever. Yeah. Yeah. They will never hear the words referendum again and not fucking wince. Yeah. So see, after Brexit's dealt with, I think there's going to be an unwritten rule in the British elite spanning all the parties, which is never, ever, ever do that shit again. <laughs> never let the public near a major decision. No ever again. <laughs> ever again. No. And that, if you listen to like Radio 4 and the regular, and I do because I'm boring, right, then... Uh, that's the thing that keeps being said by everyone. Never. Yeah, why ever, did we let them? Why did we let them, why did we let them have a say? <laughs> never. Why did we let them have a vote? Never ever do this but again. But this is what they're trying to do now, isn't it? Yeah. They're trying to stop people voting. Mm. Mm. You've got to bring like a passport, photo ID, and two letters of address onto the polling station. Yeah. Yeah, we're, so there are no normal circumstances under which Scotland ever gets a legal independence referendum again. Um, but, I mean, tell that to Big Nicky Sturgeon, who is addressing a rally in George Square. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Do you remember all those foam fingers with Nicola Sturgeon? Like, I'm with Nicola. Oh, God, Do you remember yeah. them? Yeah. Like, this is the thing. I think back to 2014, the foam fingers... Wild. Yeah. Why? 
that is like a whole lifetime ago. Yeah, yeah. And am I imagining it? Or was like Nicola in big letters on a stage behind her? I think so, yeah. Or have I like completely, I could have made that up. I'm sure um, our bath correspondent will check it out. And yeah, find yeah. out that it was a smear. But, uh, oh God, yeah, do you remember that huge rally? Uh, they had that um, in the hydro next door to the Radical Independence Conference yeah and I remember that they had a, a band on called the Red Hot Chili Pipers yeah <sighs> I was grim see after independence mm-hmm. I'm just going to ban all the bagpipes <laughs> yeah see see my ideal of what an independent Scotland looks like it's it's totally not, not like Scotland <laughs> yeah it's totally anglicised <laughs> like uh, all of the traces of what goes for Scottish culture are just sort of eradicated um, it'll be the most forceful programme of that type since the what was the name of that after they crushed the Jacobite rising and they just wiped out like the language and the clan system and so on in the highlands I was thinking more of like the cultural revolution on oh, China? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it'll take on those sorts of proportions. Yeah, I mean, I I went through, like, a big sort of Maoist phase. Mm-hmm. So I could really get, I could really get behind that. Yeah. Uh, I love all that shit. I love it all as well. Do you know what I love most about, like, it's still part of like, the Chinese identity today, is that they really don't give a shit about the individual. Yeah. Individuals are just not important. Yeah, yeah, and you you get a reading, a cultural reading of that that goes back to like Confucius and, yeah. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, but I love those. Do you know what I fucking love about the Cultural Revolution? Right, the fact that uh, Mao lost control of the party, right? Because that's where it comes from, and then he just said, "Oh fuck you! I'll just go to the country." Yeah. Right. Oh, you think you're so great because you've outmaneuvered me in the party. The country loves me. So he just goes to the country and just sweeps the party out of the way. See, throughout the entire Chinese Revolution, he just, every time he was about to lose an argument, he just, there's a famous debate once where he just stands up at the table and says, I'm taking the People's Liberation Army to the hills. You can beat me in an argument in this room if you want, but then I'm going to war. It's banging. That guy lived like that for decades and decades and decades. That's pretty hardcore. And I would just, do you know, it speaks to, like, the inner authoritarian in me. If you're a lefty, you've been in a lot of irritating meetings, right? How good would it have been at one of those thousands of meetings to stand up and say, you'd have to make any little decision in this room that you want, right? But I've got 10,000 nutter young people outside waving a book around. And they want to lynch you, right? Uh, so, That's you know, the dream. That is it? the dream. That is the dream. You have your little chat in the room. You go through the minutes of the last meeting. <laughs> At great length. And consult them halfway into the meeting to say... You read out the apologies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take an action point. <laughs> I'm away to swim across the Yangtze River. <laughs> and raise so an army. Yeah. So fuck you. <laughs> Independence. So the SNP's not go, unlikely to go into the election on an independence ticket. You don't think that's going to harm the chances? You think they're just going to be carried along by the momentum anyway? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think they'll do really well. Um, I think that that's I do think that's quite boring in a way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that people are underestimating the potential for a Labour vote in spite of Scottish Labour. Yeah. I think. I mean, I woke up this morning to hear. And the news reports about Jeremy Corbyn's kind of like big launch for the campaign and it's all about like taking on the rich. It's all about like bad bosses and corrupt landlords and like tax dodgers and I think like that's a very, it's a very appealing message. Mm-hmm. It's a very appealing message no matter where you live. Um, yeah, and that's what happened in 2017 uh, is that um, I mean, Scottish Labour didn't do anything to secure the minor boosting seats seats that they got. That was just the way I think about it. Is you know, a rising tide lifts all tuds. That that's sort of what happens. <laughs> that's what's going to be in your little red book, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does sound like quite a kind of Maoist <laughs> yeah, slogan there. Like of... Remember, a rising tide lifts all tuds. Uh, so says Chairman David. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the 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 tide of Scottish Labour is going to be swept up in the rising tide of support for Corbynism, which I think is inevitably going to happen. By the way, uh, the only question is how high does it rise? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, that would be my strategy if I was in Scottish Labour, and I was just say as little as possible. Yeah, just yeah. just go away, yeah. just go into a yeah. bunker. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good shout. Um, yeah, this is what I was going to say about, you know, not really having paid close attention to electoral politics. Um, because I've just, I've honestly never seen it as a legitimate route for huge social change. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, which I think is, you know, it is a pro- it's due to being a product of things like the anti-war movement. Mm-hmm. And where you have like no faith in British institutions mm-hmm. or politicians, I think that that's why you know we took the kind of the political road that we did with. Do you know I mean still supporting independence, but want a Corbyn government? Mm-hmm. and see the limitations in the state, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so there's a lot of this that's quite new to me. So things like uh, the opinion poll that was out today that I that I think went round our little group chat mm. um, which was the evening standard one that put the Tories 17 points ahead Yeah, I was in the office and I was like oh, like at my work like oh shit that looks really bad and I spoke to someone who um, has been on the Labour left for a number of years and he was just like oh so what like we're 30 points behind last time <laughs> at this yeah, stage yeah. and like I'd kind of forgotten like where, like, the big turnaround of 2017. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like, mean, that it's... was a massive, massive, like, surge vote for Corbyn, even though he didn't. Yeah, and that's also, that's just to do with a few... So Labour's share of the vote always rises throughout the election, and it's partly, scandalously, it's because of um, election rules. It's about the amount of coverage that TV stations have to give to parties. So the government typically, the Tory government, not necessarily the Labour government, gets a lot more airtime than, uh, than, than Labour does. Corbyn gets very little airtime. It's also that you have to cover the campaigns. Mm-hmm. So the, a lot of the coverage that Labour gets 
outside of election times is anti-Semitism shit. Uh, all the latest smear stories that come from the PLP, which is why the PLP keep turning them out, because yeah. they need to keep that stuff in the media, because if they don't keep that stuff in the media, the stuff that gets into the media is Corbyn's economic policies, Corbyn's foreign policies, etc. The good et stuff. The things that are very popular. Stuff. So you can't have that getting in the media. Like, see people who went along with that fucking anti-Semitism that, pish. Do they not understand that that's what it was about? It was about keeping bad news about Labour in the news. Have you read Greg Filo's? Called that, called Bad News About Labour. No, I've not actually, though, I mean, if it's anything like his books about Palestine, it will be absolutely devastating, just as a statistical account. I mean, some of the the data that I understand is is in it, it's like 40% of the population think that Labour has a serious problem yeah. anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's stuff like that. And and the and the number of people who've actually been accused of anti-Semitism is like infinitesimally small yeah. uh, in the Labour Party itself. But yeah, it's because that's a that's fundamentally a media operation. Um so yeah, during the election campaign the uh, polling position has to go up because you have to hear about Labour's policies. Yeah. It's that, the rules. that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to it. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll be busy. In yeah, <laughs> in Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll be studying the little red book. Uh, um, yeah, I'll. I, I'm. I'm gonna be away for most of this. I go on holiday on the thirteenth of December. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you going? I'm going to Dubai and then Australia. Oh, I'm going to Australia for Christmas. Did I tell you this? I don't think so. Yeah. So you're going to have a sunny Christmas? Yeah. It's going to be weird, huh? Mm. Got family over there. So, yeah, I'm going to go over and visit them. I got a text from my cousin today. It was a screenshot of her weather app and it was like 28 degrees. And she was like, haha, not even summer yet. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die, I don't know <laughs> how to cope with like hot, hot, mm-hmm. and that will be hot, hot. Mm-hmm. Sounds great though. So, you will be fleeing the country in the event of a conservative yeah. victory, uh, or, you know, happily off on a jaunt. I mean, nothing's going to happen before Christmas anyway, obviously. So yeah, that's, that's a good time to leave either way. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to like, be here if there was, like, a Corbyn victory and... See the next mean? day and yeah, stuff, yeah. See that, that would be great, but, yeah, I'll be I'll be on a flight. <laughs> It'll be like that time I was coming back from Cuba and we're, like, landing, we're in the air as the uh, Brexit result <laughs> was coming in. Oh, yeah. And, like, <laughs> a really bad flyer, so I was, like, full of diazepam. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Foley was like shaking me awake being like cat 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 Brexit Brexit <laughs> I was so confused and you were all you were hearing was sort of Brexit and then we were we got into the airport and you know um, the currency exchange places uh-huh. it was like <laughs> what I imagine like the Wall Street crash looked like because all the numbers were just going 
Oh, that's great. Like, they were all like shuffling great. down and the pounds was going down, 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 down. That's like, so dramatic. So exhilarating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disaster socialism. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's sick. Uh, aye, so, uh, obviously all this general election power has put into the shade our Radical Independence Conference. Oh, aye. But did you think that it was, uh, do you think it was important to have it nonetheless? Yeah, I think it was a really, it was a pretty bold move. To mm. have it, because um, this is the thing is like right because always been run just by volunteers. We've never had uh, mon- like big money. Um, Don't it we've was never a- had a paid organizer. No, yeah. no, it's all been done by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that it's like one of our volunteers has retired, put up five grand of her own money for the deposit on the hotel. That's unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I know that that's not really political stuff but for me it is it shows like a level of dedication and commitment mm-hmm. I'm from like a fairly small committed group of people who believe in that project and have put so much of their time money effort yeah into making it happen so it was a really bold thing to do but I'm really glad we did it Mm-hmm. And it was worth like all the stress and panic. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's really worth fighting for the independence movement. I mean, it, the the contrast for me between the Aberdeen SNP conference and that conference was, they they were light years apart. In terms of like, we always use this kind of trotty phrase, political level, mm-hmm. right? But that rec conference was just immeasurably more political. It was immeasurably more of this world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There was a lot of new people there, a lot of new faces. Mm-hmm. Um, it was much younger than I thought it was going to be. It was younger than I thought it was going to be, um, yeah. Yeah, because I had these like nightmare visions of it just being like... A sea of grey. Not that we don't love the oldies, I mean, but especially I, I now that love, I'm rapidly becoming I one. love the oldies. Yeah. Um, they're not always fans of ours. No. Um, but I love a radical oldie. Yeah. yeah great fun. Um, but I thought it was going to be just full of octogenarians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but there was lots of young people, lots of new people, um, some really great contributions. Um, Jerry Carroll from oh, yeah, uh, he's great. People Not Profit. Yeah. Not People Before Profit yeah. in Northern Ireland. Um, I really great. envy them, their operation. I mean, he's he's really he's great um and also their their operation is very interesting like so afterwards we had a chat about how um pvp relate to Sinn Féin Mm -hmm. how they relate to Sinn Féin in the north how they relate to Sinn Féin in the south because they're both like for United Ireland Mm -hmm. um but on very different terms yeah Um, so really interesting stuff um yeah, real international flavour to the conference. Like, there was talk of Latin America, the Basque Country, um, the Kurdish struggle, yeah. Palestine. So there was still, like, kind of, like, a lot of of international stuff. Um, you did a debate on Brexit, which we've got the audio for, and we'll put mm-hmm. it as a bonus edition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of Connor Cast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just sort of debating the uh, the sort of international questions that Scottish independence inevitably faces, which I think is another important angle because um, 
we've always tried to say that independence is part of an international, a wider international mm. dynamic. And since the first conference had people from all kinds of different movements around the world. Um, but I think that's so concretely the case, which was the argument that I was making, that actually the way you view Scotland's place in the world has really important implications for not just what type of independent country you end up with, but uh, whether it becomes independent at all, uh, which is a very open question now, and people should clearly be aware of that, that um, the reason why debates around whether or not a Corbyn government would grant a section of that order are so important is any alternative route has been officially ruled out. Mm. Yeah. So, so like the, the strategic dilemmas now are extremely real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So at Rick, my contribution was really about trying to remind people about the successes that Rick has had. And we've mentioned it before on the pod about some of the points that we made when we were first like launching the campaign. See, to be anti-austerity and to be anti-trident, it was a really fringe position. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nobody. Like, in big political campaigns or leaderships were hard on those points. So I wanted to, like, remind people about that taboo-breaking character of the Radical Independence Campaign. Because now you've got, you know, the Tories have green credentials and Andrew Wilson says he wants a Scottish currency. Mm -hmm. You know, and you have these things. You've got Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. So I think it's important to remember that that we changed the debate Mm -hmm. around independence and pulled it to the left. But that whilst the rhetoric has changed, we now need action. Um, and I just wanted people to, like, I just wanted to place Rick in the current climate of people are changing the course of history. Mm-hmm. Like, if it wasn't for the school student strikes, people would not be talking about climate change. Yeah, yeah. People wouldn't be talking about climate crisis if there hadn't been millions <laughs> Of mm-hmm. school students taking part in those global days mm-hmm. of action. Mm-hmm. Um, and my Macron would have got away with all of his neolib and American class solutions, like yeah. if it hadn't been for the Gilets Jaunes. Yeah. So I want to remind people that politicians will always leave hard choices right until the very last minute until like popular will is held to their temple. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that's what we have to do. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important for this general election. See what you were saying there. Like, um, you come from a political tradition that assumes that the parliament isn't how things get done. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's very true. And it's one of the main reasons that I want Corbyn to win and become the next prime minister. What I will hate is if he's defeated and then the strategic response that people make to this period in history on the left is wouldn't it have been great if Jeremy Corbyn became Prime Minister? Best Prime Minister we never we never had. That is an inadequate takeaway from this situation and I think it'll be much easier if he doesn't win. If he does win, that's when the uh, limitations become much clearer and more obvious. There's no such thing as a Corbyn majority. There's such a thing as a Labour majority. There's no, no such thing as a Corbyn majority because 
even if he gets a thumpingly large majority of Labour MPs, most of them will be against him. Most of them will be against his legislative agenda. Um, in some ways, some of his coalition partners, if he goes into coalition with the SNP, some of those people might be better for him than his own PLP, less interested in plotting against him. I mean, yeah, I, I get all that, but I do... So, I don't think it's the job of like the radical and revolutionary left to orientate around what happens in Parliament. Mm. I think if there's a Corbyn victory, then what we... I'm using that in like the broadest possible sense. Mm-hmm. What we should do is is begin to pick off the weaklings. Mm-hmm. Right, so and I don't mean that like in the parliamentary sense. So Corbyn is in power. Um, what we need is like a mass movement against the landlords. Mm-hmm. Like we need to build on the ground outside the parliament, so that those politicians who want to do in Corbyn have less and less options. Yeah, and we begin to use Corbyn as an ally in building those mass movements against. Yeah, like the ruling class essentially yeah. is what I'm talking about. I agree. Rather than like just you know, oh, isn't Corbyn great? And isn't he going to do all these things for us? Politicians don't do things for people. Yeah, <laughs> like even Jeremy Corbyn, like he. That is just not how Parliament works. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? You actually have to like build outside of it. And that's not something that can be a Labour Party operation. No, and that's that's fine. But that's why I've always had concerns about the left's approach to Corbynism in England and putting all of its resources mm-hmm. behind Corbyn and not maintaining an independent anti-austerity movement I mean even in the form of the People's Assembly which I mean God wasn't perfect but it was an independent thing mm-hmm. you know and um, so that if you know Corbynism did fail if Corbyn ended up out if the right wing do take over then there's there's another infrastructure there mm-hmm. no I, I think that's a very good point like um, there's no um there's no legislative path to the sort of social change that people no. who are going to vote for Corbyn think is going to come out of that situation. Yeah. Um, my, yeah, my, my strategy would be just pick off the weak. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously, though, like, you start targeting, like, particular employers in the public sector who don't play ball. Mm-hmm, Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? You have an emboldened workers' movement. Mm-hmm. Um if there is if, on the streets. If, if there is a like a capital flight operation attack those employers who are removing Absolutely. things from the country yeah. yeah do you know what I mean like that that's the sort of thing that it's going to take I think did you hear Nell meow in there I heard Nell meow in there yeah Nell cat's little familiar poor little Nell poor little Nell my cat's quite old mm. and she's got hyperthyroidism which makes her greedy and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got that. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to talk about is witches. I love his witches. This is the second episode we've had where we're talking about witches. Aye, I think... Remember, we were talking about Coven Wheel last time. Oh, yeah. Um, do you know there's a lot of investigations right now into why Scotland had one of the, like, or like the highest per capita witch hunting uh, in Europe. And no one can entirely decide why. But a new interactive map has been set up showing where all of the witch 
burnings and so on went on in Scotland, mainly in the 1600s, over hundreds of years. Um, I found nine here in this sort of Kelvin Bridge type area. Um, I found one just down the road from where I grew up, which is always uh, spooky. You know. Oh, because you're from Ayrshire and that's like Sonny Bean country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's hardcore prod country and so on. Um, and uh, But of course, before the prods, there was uh, King James the... Uh, he was the, the one who wrote demonology. I think it's King James the Sixth. Jesus Christ. Is that not what that is? Anyway, the James, James boy, right... <laughs> He wrote, uh, he was obsessed, it, they now say by the way they think he had a mental condition that he might have had like uh, schizophrenia or something similar to that because he was obsessed with satanic plots to undermine him um, and obsessed with witches and the persecution thereof. Uh, so there was like a ruling class led campaign to do with witches in Scotland even before Calvinism and its own particular obsession. Uh, though I would say in the defence of the one true faith that um, uh, witch burning was carried out more or less evenly by both reformed and catholic uh, uh, Christians so yeah there's interesting debates opening up again about why Scotland killed so many witches and you know what the traditional explanations are this is a period in history where a lot of property was changing hands yeah. And people were using various methods to sort of smack and grab. Yeah. Including denunciation of yeah. witches. Um, so there's been a movement around this, like reclaiming this history and writing about it mm. recently. I went to a lecture at Edinburgh University by Sylvia Federici. I'm fascinated by this, yeah. Um, and she, she's written a book a few years ago called Caliban and the Witch, mm. which is about... It, it takes into account like feminism and capitalist accumulation and witchcraft. Um, it's it's a fascinating book, but like in her lecture, she just briefly touched on this work and talked about you know trying to uncover the history of these women who were murdered. Mm-hmm. They were murdered. There was mass murders of women mm. like across all of Europe and the United States. I've just rubbed my contact lens into my eye. Oh yuck! Did you see that? Mm. It sort of looked like you were sort of shedding a part of your eye. I was talking about witches. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so she's been back in this big project about, um, you know, telling these women's stories. Mm-hmm, there was mm-hmm. like, particularly, you know, in Edinburgh, there was a lot of witch trials and women murdered in Edinburgh mm. for being witches. I think there, there's tours you can go on find out like what happened to them and actually you know these these were real people yeah yeah. um yeah on this on this i've got more to say but i've gone a bit brain dead on this online archive they've tried to find out what class they were from Mm. their names their occupations what they were accused of how they were killed that sort of thing and whether they were like traditional witches or slutty halloween witches We deserve a haunting so bad. This takes me back to that time when we really deserved a haunting. Uh, up north. Uh, what was his name again? <laughs> I can't remember. Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald. Um, we were up in a little cottage up north 
and uh, the in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere so it was pretty fucking scary and anyway. the cottage we were staying in used to be the, like the manse the manse yeah uh, was the, and the, the local minister a very popular man was called Ronald McDonald he was called <laughs> he was called Ronald McDonald <laughs> yeah. but you just couldn't help yourself but call him Ronald McDonald on the last night we went up this big hill with a huge cross on top of it I mean, it's actually it's one of the sort of traditional Catholic areas in the yeah, yeah. but it looks very broad anyway. And I just went up there in the last night and bellowed Ronald McDonald <laughs> at the top of my top of my, my lungs, right? And uh, and I hadn't was not prepared for the extent of the of the echo, and it <laughs> just travelled for miles yeah, and yeah. miles in every direction in all these valleys and so on. And then all those dogs started barking. Yeah. <laughs> Every dog in town started yeah. barking. Yeah. Um, does I feel like I did something mischievous? Did I not? Did I not try and scare you with a Ronald McDonald prank? Uh, yes, uh, on several occasions you actually scared me on several. Well, you, this is the thing that you're quite good at doing. <laughs> you're quite good at like, doing the thing where you make people jump. So watching yeah. films with cat is always a hazard. Because all of a sudden she'll just go ah, like that, <laughs> and you'll fucking. This shit is it. why I have no friends. <laughs> <laughs> just walking around in this deserted cottage, all of a sudden they'll round the corner and hear us ah! <laughs> um, Just as you're fearing for your life from Ronald, the ghost of Ronald McDonald. Uh, <laughs> uh, aye, we deserve a haunt off the witches. Did David did a really mean thing to me last Halloween where he let me play with the Ouija board and then started moving the counter around. Except I didn't. <laughs> started moving the counter all over the place and getting it to spell out things. Did we then not go up onto a thing online and find out about people who used to live in this in this flat? Yeah, we did. <laughs> that David had clearly done before he got here. Because... <laughs> I was like, is there anybody there? <laughs> and it was saying yes. And yeah. then you got the initials of the person that was there and it was the same as the you know, 1909 census name or whatever. Yeah, listeners, I did not pre-plan it. You it was, were... It was a genuine was, haunting. I was quite depressed at the time. I think you did it to like sort of like make me excited about things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've also, I think that my my house might actually be haunted. Well, oh, by a Nazi. Yeah. So when I was getting the bathroom decorated recently, when the bathroom fitters took all the panelling off the wall, there was all these like little messages written to the woman who used to live here, yeah, this Rose. Is so creepy. So there was stuff like "Hi Rose," like little poem, like all this sort of stuff hidden behind these panels. It must be from the seventies, but they pulled off this one panel, and behind it there was a giant swastika <laughs> with NF for National Front, mm. and then someone had written Adolf next to it. <laughs> so I think that there's like a Nazi that haunts my flat yeah a skinhead I mean, it makes it a bit less less sinister that it's a skinhead really doesn't it 
a Scottish skinhead from the 70s. That is a thing people do say about ghosts, isn't it, right? And bogus ghost sightings. You never see a ghost from the 1980s. (laughs) (laughs) You never see a ghost in a tracksuit. The why not? Yeah. The, the, there would be a lot more ghosts because lo- loads more people have died recently than long ago in the past. I know, but I think that ghosts, they need time to sort of ripen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't die and then just suddenly become a ghost. You die and then, like, you spend a lot of time in purgatory mm-hmm. <laughs> with people praying for your soul yeah. and then your soul kind of gets sucked back out the ground and yeah. someone this, commands you. This stuff is not in the Bible. Uh, like purgatory, that none of this stuff is in there. Purgatory's not in the Bible? No. Whoa, Catholic. Whoa, 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 whoa. None of the stuff you were taught in church is in the Bible. What are you talking about? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is in the Bible, yeah. <laughs> no, instead of Jesus, a guy called Ronald McDonald. <laughs> You've been told nothing about your religion. This is why the Reformation is so necessary. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in the one true holy Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> or is it limbo that's not in the Bible? I think that might be more right. Purgatory is in the Bible. Purgatory is like a proper thing. That's in like Divine Comedy and stuff. Aye, but the Divine Comedy's not. The Bible? Nah, it's not a proper Christianity. It's all over the place. It's a mad load of shit. Yeah, but it's not like a, a construct. Limbo is horrible, horrible thing. Limbo is where unbaptized kids. baby used to go mm-hmm. until Pope John Paul II shut it down. Right. And let so- them all go. <laughs> <laughs> Pope John Paul II closed down the baby jail set them loose to an ungrateful world where they fucking turned over all the cars and set fire to shit. Spray painted NF on your bathroom wall. <laughs> all those little Unbaptized Nazi babies. <laughs> Asbo wins. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but Limbo got closed. <laughs> cuts. Cuts. It's yeah. gone out of liquidation. Limbo and Watt Brothers. <laughs> Yeah, Limbo's not the Bible, but Purgatory pure is. Okay. It's such a grim concept for a child, Purgatory. Mm-hmm. I remember like, when my grandparents died and I was like, oh, does that mean they go to heaven now? And someone being like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. They go to Purgatory and then you have to pray for them to get into heaven. Oh, dear. I mean, that that is... That, that, that's the line. That's the bad stuff, yeah. That's the line. Um, so is it, it's... Uh, uh, when when Johannes Tetzel's famous had a famous rhyme for selling indulgences. Uh, oh no, it was like when you put money in the box, the the little bell rung. You know mm-hmm. the bell, and when he said something, like, when the bell rings, the uh, spirit from pur- purgatory springs or something like that. Is that he had a little, a little yeah. famous rhyme? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about yeah about how indulgences could, would yeah. work yeah yeah because you could buy your way out of purgatory mm-hmm. no we were just told to pray for people to get out of purgatory mm-hmm. it's basically like people stuck at the gate in an airport 
But it is, I understand why it's... For eternity. I, I understand why it's a comfort and thought that, because it means you haven't entirely lost them. And not only that, you are interceding on their behalf. So it's like you still have a relationship with them. It's pretty grim at the same time. I know, but just to think of people like stuck there just waiting in a queue. Mm. That's how I always pictured it. It's just people waiting. But we'll get to heaven eventually. So did you not like have any Jesus when you were growing up? No, I did, because uh, they did all the Jesus at school and church and stuff like that. They just took us to church. The school did. I, I used to believe in Jesus. Um, I remember thinking, I used to, this is how I used to rationalise it. Um, I remember whenever I did something really stupid as a kid and I got away with it. Did you think, thanks Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I remember one time I was down, I was down by the harbour and we used to sort of tight, tight rope walk along the edge of the harbour. Mm-hmm. Right, stupid sort of things that kids did. Uh, and dare each other to do stuff like that. And one time I so nearly fell in the harbour, right? And then I didn't, and I was like, thank fuck Jesus had me there. Because otherwise I would definitely be in the water. is the difference between Catholics and Protestants. Right. Because my Jesus was always catching me doing something bad. Uh-huh. Right? Do you know, it was like, always like, oh my God, Jesus don't look right now, but I'm doing this bad thing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah. doing something naughty. Yeah. No, I, I saw Jesus as someone who saves you. Oh no, I saw Jesus as someone that grasses you up to God. <laughs> <laughs> a sort of celestial big brother. Aye. Yeah, big character. Yeah. No, that is genuinely, that is a big sort of difference. That, that is, that's that. In a nutshell. Anytime I didn't follow a tree, that was my, that was my Protestant Jesus. Anytime your mum told you off for climbing a tree, Catholic Jesus had grasped you in. Yeah. 